An Invaluable Kingdom from the sermon series, The More of the Story, spoken by Pastor Peter on. The floods really uh, destroyed many of our people's homes, uh, but it destroyed our office. I mean, literally decimated our entire office. And last Sunday, a bunch of you came out and we spent the entire day just cleaning out the office. Even Tuesday, we had to go back, throw things away, put things into storage. I just want to show you some pictures. I'm sure they're being flashed up there right now, even as we speak. Uh, about 85% of our office space was demolished. We had to throw it away. A lot of our pastors lost their books, and books are important to pastors, and they lost their books as well. And so uh, we are trying our best to rebuild the best we can. The office is still uninhabitable. They are working towards fixing it up. We hope that in the next coming weeks or months, we'll be able to finally get in there. But I just want to let you know that we did set up a fund online called the Metro Recovery Fund. If God would pull in your heart, tug in your heart, to give in addition to your normal tithes and your offering, please, I want to make that clear, in addition to your normal tithes and your offerings, uh, please, uh, please feel free to give to that. We will use that money specifically to buy furniture. We're going to have to get flood insurance, and it's going to be astronomical uh, as a church. And so there's a lot of things that we have to do to rebuild the office. And so if you would like to give to that offering in addition, you can do so on PushPay. Uh, we put that up there. Please feel free to do so. But we just would ask that you just continue to pray for us as a church our leadership and our elders, just as we try to figure out what the best path forward is for our church, particularly our office space. We would really appreciate that. A special shout out to all of our volunteers, particularly our partners uh, who came out on Sunday, who came out on Tuesday to help us clean the office. I mean, you guys are truly amazing for spending so much time. You put your body through tremendous abuse uh, over those two days, and especially the other partners and members that came out on Sunday, and you you served the Englewood community. You went into people's homes and you helped them throw things away. You, you tried to support them the best you can. I know we've been doing some food handouts and we've been a part of that too. So just want to thank you all for being the church. Even though we didn't have service last Sunday, you still were the church. You served and you were the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to thank you for that. Before we get started in our sermon today, uh, I just want us to bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So let's just do that. God, we come to you today. And Lord, we ask that you would just come and, and speak to us through a text that is incredibly challenging to every single one of us who professes to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this opportunity, as we get a, a chance to look into your word, that you would help us to take a deep, hard look at our soul. And God, that this would be an opportunity for authentic engagement with you in your presence. And I pray that transformation would happen. I pray that you would transform our lives today. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, and I pray that the meditation of all of our hearts watching, all over the world, actually, would be indeed pleasing and holy to you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of us watch Korean dramas, all right? Now, no one's here right now except for our worship team. Raise your hand. See, Glory is raising her hand right now. But how many of you, just, just say yes, I do, or just wave online. We'd like to see you wave. Men, don't be ashamed of this, okay? It's important to know that you gotta be honest. But how many of us watch Korean dramas, also known as K-dramas? It has become an international sensation. Everywhere around the world, people are watching Korean dramas. In fact, Netflix has invested, get this, 
$500 million on Korean dramas for 2022, just for one year. They have invested $500, half a billion dollars on Korean dramas for 2022. My daughter is really getting into watching K-dramas. They were never into it, but about last probably year and a half, two years, it's really the main thing that they watch. I've watched my share of Korean dramas over time, and my favorite one of late, it probably came out in the last couple of years, is Crash Landing on You. How many of you have watched Crash Landing on You? If you have not, you want to go on Netflix, you definitely want to check it out. Probably one of my favorites, one of my favorites. And uh, my daughters fell in love with it, and a couple of, uh, about a year ago or so, my buddy Daniel Hill, Pastor Daniel Hill, he comes and he speaks here at Metro quite often. He's written multiple books. He's a pastor. He's white. He called me about a year ago, and he says, hey, listen, and you need to know something about Daniel. Daniel doesn't watch movies, really. He doesn't watch TV shows. He's really not into that kind of stuff. He just likes to read, all right? Daniel calls me and says, Peter, I want to start watching Korean drama. What do you recommend? And so I act naturally, I said, Daniel, watch Crash Landing on You. And so he did. He fell in love with it. I am not going to let you know how many times he watched Crash Landing because he watched it more than once, multiple times. He's got the whole soundtrack downloaded on Spotify, all right? He is so into it, and uh, I created a monster because he's watched more Korean dramas than I have in the past year, year and a half. He loves Korean dramas. What is it about K-dramas? What is it about those dramas? You know what it is? These writers... These producers, these directors, they have tapped into your innate, my innate desire to want to be loved. And when we find that love, that's what happens in Korean drama. They kind of suck you into this world that when you find that love, every Korean drama that's good, those people are willing to do whatever it takes to live in it. They will suffer. They will even give their lives to live in that love. That's why Korean dramas are so successful. That's why people all over the world watch it. Because there is this natural innate desire that you and I have to want to be loved. And when we find that love, we literally will do whatever it takes, particularly whatever suffering is required to live in it. I want you to know that innate desire that you and I all have to want to be loved and even want to sacrifice for that love is a desire in which God has created within us so that we can have that towards him. God loves us to a place where many of us fully don't really grasp sometimes, but he loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and to die for us on the cross. That's how much God loves us. He suffered everything so that we can be in this love relationship. And what he does is that he wants us to experience that love. And when we do, that we would make a decision to do whatever it takes, risk whatever it takes, suffer whatever it takes so that we can live in that love. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this next passage that we're going to look at today. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. You see, we find that there's these two men, they find something of tremendous worth. And because they see this thing of tremendous worth, they are willing to do whatever it takes to receive and to live within the treasures in which they find. And what I want you to know is this, is that God's love for us is so radical, so profound, that you and I all have this innate desire because God created us. We have this innate desire to want to be loved by God. And if we don't channel those desires towards God, it will be channeled towards other things that oftentimes will lead to destruction. I want to read for you a quote by St. Augustine. 
This is what St. Augustine says, a very famous theologian back in the day, okay? He says this. He says, you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts will be restless until they find rest in you. I'm going to say that again. You have formed us for yourself, and our hearts will be restless until they find rest in you. Korean dramas are not a phenomenon in which where they help you to tap into this desire of you wanting to be loved. That's the design which God has created you and I with so that we can engage with him. And what Jesus does today is that he's going to teach us that in order for us to encounter that kind of radical, genuine, powerful love, we have to be willing to embrace and enter into the kingdom of God. That it's only within us living as citizens of this kingdom can we encounter the genuineness and the powerfulness of that love. Kind of like when you watch these K-dramas, you get sucked into this world, and you know what it is. You get sucked into this world, and you start to, start to feel these really powerful emotions. In many ways, until you and I are willing to enter into the kingdom of God, into that world of God's kingdom, we cannot enter into the power and into the genuineness of that love that God has for you and for me. And so how can we... What I want to talk to you about today is this. How can we get to a place where we really recognize the, value, the invaluableness of God's kingdom? That's important. How do we come to a place where we recognize that there's nothing on this earth, no people, no person, no thing that we own that is better than us living in the kingdom of God? How do we get to that place? That's what I want to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 13. We're going to look at verses 44 to 46. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. It's just three verses. All right, here we go. Verse 44. I'm reading from the New International Version. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. Now, the treasure is the kingdom of heaven, right? Remember that. Again, he says in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it. This is the word of God. And so from the beginning of this year, we've been focusing on these major discourses of Matthew. And we're on the third one now. The first discourse, if you remember, it took us seven months to, to do. It's from Matthews 5 through 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that discourse, the first discourse, Jesus teaches you and I how we can be kingdom disciples. And he says that in order for us to be kingdom disciples, we have to be willing to put ourselves in a place where God transforms us from the inside out, not from the outside in. That true transformation, us being disciples of the kingdom, is that we experience a transformation that is from the inside out. It took us seven months to get through that. The second discourse we talked about is this discourse that God's people, his disciples, take on the mission of God, which is to advance his kingdom here on earth. It's, we call the commission impossible, right? And when you and I sort of get to a place where we say that we are now disciples of Jesus Christ, one of the missions or the missions that we take on is this mission of expanding God's kingdom here on earth. And what does that look like? What that means is that we talked about is that God's kingdom and advancing his kingdom, it's to help people get free from their brokenness so that Satan no longer takes advantage of their brokenness. One of the things that Satan does is that he looks at our brokenness, because we're all broken people, and he likes to take advantage of it. He utilizes it so that we can continue to go down or so that we can enter into this downward spiral of life. And how we help people, and one of the missions that God sent you and I to, is to set them free from that, 
through God's power, through his grace, through the proclamation of his gospel, through the demonstration of his power, that God would call us to do that. The last discourse that we're looking at uh, in the last couple of weeks is called this third discourse, which is called the parabolic discourse, which teaches us what it means to be secret kingdom disciples, all right? What it means to be secret kingdom disciples. All three discourses, major theme is on the kingdom of God. All three is on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the greatest treasure. And we look at this passage, we find that this man who found the treasure, we find that this merchant who finds the pearl, they look at this and they see the worth of it and they're willing to sell everything they have with joy so that they can be in possession of the kingdom of heaven. Why is the kingdom of heaven the greatest value this world has to offer today? It's simply because that when you and I get to live in that kingdom, we encounter the genuineness, the power of God's love in its purest form. Every single one of us today, we have a desire, this natural desire to want to be loved. And when we encounter that love, we want to do whatever it takes to live in it. We will be willing to suffer whatever it takes, the way God was willing to suffer for us through the person of Jesus Christ so that we can enter into this love with him. So the kingdom of God is just that great. But how many of us would say that it is? How many of you today watching online today would agree that the kingdom of God today is the greatest thing that you have in your life, is the greatest value that you have today in your life? How many of us would actually say yes to that? If you're anything like me, I know that this is a challenge and this is a struggle, and sometimes you find yourself in like one, one side of your life, you find yourself in the kingdom of God, but the other side, you find yourself in the, very much so in the world. And I call that wandering in the wilderness. When you and I wander in the wilderness, we kind of have one foot in the kingdom and one foot out. And I've lived that kind of life in the past, and I'm telling you right now, it is a horrible, difficult life to live. God wants you today not to have one foot in his kingdom and one foot out, but he wants you to have both feet in his kingdom. That you would truly understand the invaluableness of the kingdom of God. And from the beginning of this year, we've been talking about what it means to experience the power of life in this kingdom. So how can we get there? How can we get to a place where you and I can enjoy and see the worth and the valuableness of the kingdom of God? Here's the first thing. God's kingdom becomes invaluable to us when our discipleship becomes our highest priority. God's kingdom becomes invaluable to us when our discipleship becomes our highest priority. It's really amazing how often Christians here in America, where they seem like this is sort of an option, where discipleship might be important, but it's not our highest priority. If you want to see the tremendous worth of the value of God's kingdom today, you have to see discipleship or make discipleship your highest priority, my highest priority. Look at what it says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it. What you need to know back in the first century, they didn't have banks. And so whenever people had valuables, they would dig a hole on their property and they would bury it there, hoping that nobody would find it. It's kind of a normal practice. And I've been learning the value of pearls. I never knew the value of pearls, but I did a bike ride recently up to Maine, and one of the guys who went with us is actually a jeweler. And he told me that pearls, real pearls, not pearls that are uh, synthetically created, he says real pearls are actually worth more than diamonds today. 
I know that, right? First century it was. It was worth more than gold. Pearls were just that valuable. And again, we find that this man who finds the treasure, this merchant who looks for the pearl, when they find it, and this is the kingdom of heaven, when you and I, and we can all agree, that we found the kingdom of heaven through the person of Jesus Christ, when they found it, they saw the value of it, and they were willing to give up everything they had for it. And they did it with joy. They did it with joy. How do we do that today? How do we truly understand the, value, the invaluableness of God's kingdom? Is when you and I make discipleship our highest priority. And what is discipleship in some ways? There are many ways to define it. You know what I, I've learned discipleship to be over the years? Self-denying discipleship. If you and I want to be the disciple of Jesus Christ, my mentor tells me this. He says, you have to find out a place every day where you can deny yourself. That if you grow in denying yourself, you are growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's not easy to do in America today. It's very difficult because everything about us is about doing things that we desire. True discipleship is about dedicating our lives in such a way where we would deny our preferences, our desires, our hopes, and our dreams for the sake of God. It's like those Korean dramas that when they find that love, they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to, to sacrifice their life. Do whatever it takes so that that love can continue to be solidified in their lives. Every single one of us today, we have to ask ourselves the question, is discipleship my greatest priority? Because if it's not, then you know why you pursue Jesus? To bless you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to be blessed by God because I like to be blessed by God. But that cannot be the reason why you follow him. Our motivation, if we want to see the worth of God's kingdom the way this man and this merchant did, we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position where we will deny ourselves every single day. That we would make that our highest priority. I love the story of the rich young ruler, and I think that's a story, unfortunately, that many of us can kind of relate to. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 18 of Luke. Uh, of Luke. Luke 18, verse 18 to 25. Just turn there with me. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to the man, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And here's what he says. All these things I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad. Underline that phrase, very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When you and I are not willing to give up everything, when we are not willing to give up everything for the sake of God, his kingdom will never be valuable to us. His kingdom will never be the greatest treasure that you and I possess today. The rich young ruler had everything and he obeyed God and he did the commandments. But yet he's not, he wasn't willing to deny what he had because what he had in possession was worth more than following Jesus and being a citizen of that kingdom. Can anyone relate to that? Can anyone identify with that today? I think a lot of us fall in that place, including myself. But what I want you to realize is this, that when we choose to hold on to the things that we have as opposed to giving it up for the things of God, for God's kingdom, then what will begin to happen is that our dominant emotion that we will experience for the rest of our lives is that we will be very sad. 
Sadness will be the dominant emotion that you and I will encounter, unfortunately. I've had the privilege of walking with a bunch of people in this church for the past 17 years. And there are times where people want to take their discipleship to the next level. And they're asking God, God, what is it that you may want me to do? And every time they've asked that question, God has revealed to them things that they would need to do, things that they would have to give up. On a few occasions, I've been able to see some people that really struggle with this, like the rich young ruler. They've had me and they've had all the Christians pray for them and saying, I'm sensing that God is leading me in this direction. So can you pray and confirm it for me? And I and other people that have prayed for them would confirm it, but yet they could not do it. And they'd walk away. And I still know these people today. And I would say that the dominant emotion that they experience daily is sadness. Is sadness. Because when there are things in this world that are more valuable than God, we can't experience true joy. You can't, you can't because you cannot encounter that kind of love that your soul and my soul starves and longs for. The apostle Paul was complete opposite of the rich young ruler. Look what he says in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, the apostle Paul. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all. Things. I'm going to read that again. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Jesus is teaching us that when we make discipleship our highest priority, we will experience pure joy. Paul the apostle says, everything that I have is really worthy of being lost in my life because God is so great. The surpassing knowledge that I have of Jesus and me being a citizen of that kingdom is far greater than anything else this world has to offer. And Paul had a lot. Paul accomplished a lot. And he says it's all garbage if you compare it to knowing Jesus Christ. Can we get there? Can you put your discipleship at that kind of priority like the way Paul has? Because I think if we're going to be really honest with ourselves, if we were to choose and say, are we more like Paul or are we more like the rich young ruler? A lot of us would say, well, probably more like the rich young ruler. How do we get to be more like Paul where discipleship becomes our highest priority? Here are a couple of my suggestions that I, that I've, that's helped me over the years. And this is a daily struggle for me too, folks. This isn't something that I've perfected. I am far, far from being that kind of person that is so willingly to sell everything I have, like the merchant and the, uh, and the, and the, uh, and the man found and sees the way they see the kingdom of God. But this is what's helped me over the years to really help me to get to that side of just whatever it takes God. I want to be a part of your kingdom. The first thing that's really helped me is that I cultivate my interior world. I cultivate my interior world, all right? Cultivating your interior world is key because when you cultivate your interior world, you begin to develop and understand yourself. Hear me on this. Discipleship is about denying yourself. It's about picking up your cross and denying yourself. But you... Many of us, we don't have a self to deny or self to give up or self to die to because we don't know ourselves very well. We don't. And a lot of us, we focus on the exteriors of our life. And I want you to know everything that you focus on that's on the outside, whether you get a haircut, you do your hair, you put on makeup, you lose some weight to look good, that exterior that we present to people, it's probably about 20 to 25% of who we really are. The rest of who we are, the 80 to 85% of who we are, is truly from the inside. It's what's going on in here. It's that you have to develop your interior world. You have to know what's going on inside. 
And it almost seems like a no-brainer, but so many of us are not able to fully process a lot of that stuff because we don't necessarily live in a culture that teaches us how we can begin to do that. And so how do we sort of cultivate our interior world? Some of the things that have really helped me over the years is this. I slow down for silence and solitude. I slow down. What I mean by slowing down for silence and solitude is this. You have to incorporate daily silence in your life. Can I encourage you to start with five minutes a day? Five minutes, you will be quiet. You will not look at your phones, and you'll just be quiet before the Lord. I encourage you to start creating a plan of how you can incorporate silence into your life. And as you get older and as you go on it longer and longer, try to increase your times of silence. You have to try to grow and increase more of your times of silence. So for me, every day, my goal is to be silent 30 minutes before the Lord. That's my goal, is to be completely silent so that I can begin to hear more of God's voice. You cannot hear God's voice unless your soul is in a place where there is silence. All right? Remember the example of Mary and Martha? Jesus and his disciples went over their home. And a typical first century, some of your customs is the same thing. When a guest comes to your house, you have to make sure you prepare food for them and stuff. And so Martha did that. Martha was in the kitchen preparing all that food. Where was Mary? Mary's just kind of sitting, resting, and just fixated on Jesus. Martha's angry. I'd be angry too. And Martha goes over to Jesus and says, Jesus, come on, what are you doing? Can you please tell Mary to come and help me in the kitchen? And Jesus looks at her and says, no. She's done the right thing. She's focusing on me. So many times we get so caught up in doing for God that we're not really being before him. Remember, we're not human doings. We're human beings. God wants you to be before him. Embrace silence and solitude. I encourage you to go away for like a day or so of silence and solitude. I've tried to create, pre-pandemic, I try to create this rhythm of every other month going away from 30 to 48 hours of just silence and and solitude is an important place, okay? That helps me to cultivate my interior world. The other thing that really helps me to cultivate my interior world is I observe a weekly Sabbath, a Shabbat. You know, being in Englewood, you get to see how important Jewish people consider the Sabbath. I mean, they're walking. They're not even in their cars on the Sabbath. They embrace the Sabbath. Sabbath is something in which we do where for one whole day, for 24 hours, we cease from doing our full-time work. I would encourage you that on your Sabbath, if you really can, shut off your phones, unplug from the world and from society, and just be with the Lord. Rest, do things that you really delight in. That's what Sabbath is about. My kids are finally going back to school. They started last week, and it's wonderful. I told my wife, because she only goes to work one day a week into the office, the rest she's at home working. And so I asked her, I said, could you please go to work on Mondays? Because Mondays are my Sabbath. And I love being alone by myself in the home. And I haven't been able to do that for almost two years because my kids are home from school. And so I'm just so excited again that I get to revisit those opportunities where I can just be alone by myself on the Sabbath. Do things that I delight in. When you, when you observe a Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, you're so reminded that you are not in control of your world. That God is. That you don't have to do everything because God's in control and he's sovereign puts you in a really healthy place. And the last thing that, that I do that really helps me to cultivate my interior world is that I journal. I actually journal. It's become a really a key practice to my spiritual, spiritual life. I journal two things. The first thing is I always read a small passage of scripture, anywhere between one to about eight to ten verses, and I just meditate on it. 
And I start journaling, what, God, what are you trying to say to me through this passage? What am I learning about you, but what, do you, what am I learning about myself through this passage? That's key, all right? This morning I, I was reading 2 Corinthians 6, and there was a passage where Paul says this. He says, uh, we, don't, we don't have anything, but yet we still have everything. That was really good for me to hear this morning, especially like when we think about what's happened to the office. We've lost almost everything. And even though we've lost almost everything, but we still are rich in God. It's a powerful reminder for me this morning. I journal those things. It really helps me. And then the thing that I journal also that's really important is that I journal my emotions. I journal what I'm feeling towards God, towards other people, what I'm, and I process that with God as I'm writing it out. And whenever I, I process and I journal my emotions with God, it is some of the most incredible insights that God gives me about myself and about other people, and I learn and I cultivate what's really going on in my interior world. And when I journal my emotions, I give myself complete freedom to not censor anything I'm feeling. God can handle it if you're willing to engage with him with that kind of vulnerability. That's key. I've been able to cultivate this interior world through those, really, through those three, three key practices, slowing down for silence and solitude, observing a Sabbath, and journaling, all right? The other thing that's really helped me to make discipleship my highest priority is the confession of sins. Now, I know you know this because I talk about this all the time. I, when I say confession of sin, I'm not just saying you are confessing it to God alone. No, I'm saying you need to find somebody in your life, a partner, we call them soulmates or soul partners, where you can confess your sins regularly. There's nothing more important than doing that. All right, that you would confess and that your brokenness is bare and that people know about it so that Satan doesn't try to take advantage of that. All right, uh, one of the key ways in how we deliver ourselves from shame, which so many of us live in today, and shame will prevent us from really engaging in God's love because we feel like we're lesser than. We feel like we don't deserve God's love. That's what shame is all about. And one of the only ways we can cure shame is through vulnerability. And so every week, as much as sometimes I don't want to do it, I connect with my soulmate and I confess my sins to that soulmate every single week. It's important that you do it every week. Don't do it every month. Because if you do it every month, you can commit a sin and say, I got four weeks before I confess it. Sometimes you even forget. Regularity is important. Every week, every other week at the latest, all right? You get together with someone and confess your sins. And when you do, and when they confess your sins, their sins to you, you got to make sure you say, because you confess your sins, your sins are forgiven. I confess my sins to my soulmate because I want to hear that. Because Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there. And there's a power behind that. And Satan doesn't have a hard grip on a sinful lifestyle of mine because I tend to sort of make that a secret where nobody knows about. Powerful. That has changed my life completely of confessing my sins. And then the very last thing of making discipleship your highest priority is to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the power of Jesus. You have to proclaim. Disciples proclaim. I'm talking more about that next Sunday. Discipleship, disciples proclaim the gospel that you share with people how Jesus has transformed your life. And but that also, the other aspect is this, that you would know that God has given you permission to use his power. And that permission to use his power means that God would love for you to pray for people who are sick, who need a healing, maybe sick emotionally, that God would use you to pray for those who might be demon-possessed or have an evil spirit in them, and that you would pray because God's given you permission to use, use his authority to cast them out. It's not about results, Metro. 
It's about your willingness to be available and be used by God in that way. That's what disciples do. They cultivate the interior world. They confess their sins so that Satan doesn't take advantage of their dark little worlds. And they make sure that they proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ. Those are some things that have really helped me to be a disciple over the years. And I hope that it will help and encourage you so that you would know the true value, the value of God's kingdom today. The last thing, second, God's kingdom becomes invaluable to us when we let go of the greatest things we value. When we let go of the greatest things we value. Jesus teaching us that the kingdom of God is worth everything we have. Again, the merchant finds a pearl. The man finds his treasure. They sell everything they have. They give up everything they have because they know the true value of this. Listen, this is not about you buying your way into the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is trying to say here. What Jesus wants you and I to understand is the supreme value of God's kingdom. And the only way we truly know the supreme value of God's kingdom is if we're willing to give up or let go of whatever we value that might compete for the value of the kingdom today. And so that's an important question to ask today. What do you value today that's more valuable to you than the kingdom of God? What is that? What do you value today that is more valuable to you than the kingdom of God? All right, is it success, perhaps? I think for a lot of us living in this country, it's always about success. Some of you say, well, Peter, I'm, I'm doing this so that I can be successful and then I can bless the kingdom of God. That's great. But if God were to tell you to give it all up like the rich young ruler, can you? Can you give it all up? Because whenever things of success or money or wealth or whatever it might be becomes more important to God, then we idolize those things. And those things were never meant to be worshipped. We enter into a deeper, darker place in life when we start to worship things that are not God. That's a dangerous place. Is it your child? Parents, I know I have three kids. It's so hard not to like idolize your child. When I say idolize your child, it's not that you bow down and worship them, but they're more important to you than God. And I'm telling you that when you put yourself in that position, you can't really fully love your child. You really can't. Because your children were never given to you so that you can worship them or place them at a higher priority than God. Your children were there so you can love and parent them so they can be healthy, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The only way we can love our kids that way is if we make God's kingdom our highest priority. We need God to love our children. Is it your spouse, your wife, or your husband? There are times when we could idolize our spouse. And I'm telling you right now, hear me on this, there's no way you can love your spouse properly if they're more important to you than God. The only way you can really love your spouse the way they deserve to be loved is when the kingdom of heaven becomes your highest priority. When you know the true value of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because your spouse, God loves your spouse so much more than you do. And the longer you've been married, mar married people, you know this, the longer you've been married, you realize something. There are times where you don't love your spouse very much. There are times You'll never do it, I hope never, but there are times you want to kill them. You really want to murder them. No, you'll never do it, but you have those real raw emotions. And in those moments, you need to go to God and say, God, I know how much you love this man or this woman. Would you please help me to experience that love that you have for them? Because I don't love them like that. That's why you need God. That's why your spouse cannot be your idol, because if your spouse becomes your highest priority, you can never love them the way they need to be loved. Right? A family member, whatever it might be. What are the things that you value so much today? For some of you, it's your wounds. It's your wounds. 
When I say that, what I mean is that you don't want God to heal you of your wounds. Not that you don't want to, but you're afraid of what might happen. And for some of you, you have this deep, dark satisfaction in life where you love to always believe that it's everyone else's fault but yours. And you won't let your wound heal because you like feeling like a victim. And when you find your identity being a victim, there is no hope for you to experience the kind of life that God has for you because while you might have been victimized, you're not a victim. You're a child of God. Where Jesus Christ has come and died for you on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and you are to live like a child of God. But you can't live like a child of God if you keep seeing yourself as a victim. Maybe it's a particular sinful lifestyle. Some of you are saying, you know what, I can't. I can't make the kingdom of God more important than my whatever sinful lifestyle. I love women. I need to have multiple women. I need to do whatever it is, the drugs, the, the gossip, the alcohol. And you don't want to give up a sinful lifestyle. Maybe that's more important to you than God. Am I tracking with any of you here today? Maybe it's your need for comfort. Maybe it's your need to be comfortable in life. American ways to be comfortable. And maybe you don't want to ever make God's kingdom your greatest priority because you know that if you do, you're going to have to live a life of discomfort. And that is so anti-American today. Right? We even have a lazy boy, uh, a chair called Lazy Boy. We love being lazy. We're lazy people in general. And this idea of being uncomfortable and letting that be sort of a normal sort of a, a lifestyle for us is something we don't want to do. For some of you, your greatest idol in your life or the thing that you value the most is you. You value yourself too much. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. You want to feel valued. You want to feel important all the time. And as a result, it's really hard for you to surrender that need or that desire to be important or to feel valued. And that becomes more important than you than God. And in fact, some of us, we do these things that we say we want to do for God because we want to feel affirmed. We want to feel like we're valuable. And we have to be willing to surrender it. What is it that you value more than God and his kingdom? Will you surrender that to him today? Because once you come up with whatever that is, then you have a choice. Somebody's saying, well, how do I do that? Find out what those things are, write them down, and now you have a choice to say yes or no. You have a choice to say, yes, I will continue to make this my idol and more valuable than Jesus, or no, I will no longer do that. And you'll pray that God will help you with this, and hopefully you'll get some help through it all. You see, this man and this merchant, they found this treasure, they saw the worth of it, and they said nothing compares to it. And so they gladly gave up everything. Again, it's not about buying yourself into God's kingdom. But at the end of the day, what it is is about understanding the supreme value of being in the kingdom of God. And that's a secret. Not everyone who's a Christian is going to know the supreme value of the kingdom of God. Only those who actually find it and are willing to give up everything that they have will truly know the true value of being a part of God's kingdom. And if you're not willing to surrender everything that you have, if you're not willing to make discipleship your highest priority, then you'll never know the true value of God's kingdom. There's so many Christians living today where they don't know the true value of God's kingdom. And so they engage with God in such a way where he's just like a benefits insurance package. He's like a life insurance package. So that you can go to heaven when you die. It's so much more than that. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to know. And I love next Sunday because he really says to them, do you understand what I'm teaching you? Do you get this? Because if you do, it's the difference between you having true life and not having it at all. And today I think Jesus is challenging you. Do you get this today? 
Because you have an opportunity to see the value of the kingdom of God that very few Christians know. Are you going to keep living this life where God's kingdom is just something that you just see as, thank God I get to go to when I die? Or you see the supreme value of it that, no, you can experience the heaven right now today here on earth, but it's going to require everything you have today. Where are you willing to go with that? Are you willing to take it all and say, God, I'll give it all? And you do it with joy. And though it might be hard and difficult, you end up living this life as a true disciple of God. Again, Paul says in Philippians 3.8, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. That's my hope and prayer for all of you, that we would get to a place where we could say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. About six weeks ago or so, six or seven weeks, I don't fully know, I was here on a Sunday service, and it was powerful. I mean, the worship team did their thing. I mean, you could literally feel the place shake. People were worshiping. I mean, it was powerful. I didn't preach that Sunday. Somebody else preached, and it was just, I mean, it was fire. I remember just after I did the benediction, I was walking out, and I saw David Hosang and his prayer team just praying for people, laying hands and praying people for in the church. I start walking out with my wife, Jenny, and I see, like, Dawn and her team working. I get in the car, and I say to Jenny, I say, hey, honey, I don't think I'm needed in this church anymore. Like, I think Metro can survive without me. And I was really hoping for some moral support. I was hoping she would say, no, what are you, crazy? Of course the church needs you. We need you every single week, honey. You're too important. Silence. She didn't share anything with me. And I was like, why is she so quiet? It was very sobering. I remember asking her like last week, I said, hey, how come you didn't like say anything? She said, oh, I was just thinking. I know what she was thinking. It was a sobering reality, it was. The thought that you're not needed anymore, that the church could survive without you. Now that's a good thing in some places, in some places in leadership, of course. But to sort of experience and, and believe that now with my heart, it was a sobering reality. And so what did I do? I brought those emotions before God in journaling. I started journaling for a few days. And I was very honest with God about those parts of my journal. I said, God, I did too good of a job. I empowered too many people. They're doing so great. They're better than me. They're just so good. I empowered too many people in this church. They don't need, we don't, I'm not needed anymore. And God said two things to me that I'll never forget. And I wrote it down. The first thing he said to me is this, Peter, while you may not be needed on Sundays anymore, your leadership is still needed in this church. That this church is at a really critical stage and your leadership is needed here at Metro Community Church. That made me feel real good. Really did. But the second thing he said to me didn't make me feel good. He said, Peter, if you really, really want to continue to move forward and make my kingdom the greatest thing in your life, you have to surrender your need to feel valued. You have to surrender your need to feel important. Because the more you have that need to feel important and valued, the more you'll begin to do whatever it is I call you to do. Not for me, but you're going to do it for yourself. So will you give up your need to feel valued and deny yourself? That was hard. That was hard. It was a hard word that I really thank God for. And I realized at the end of the day, Metro, 
that if I don't give up this need that I have to feel valued, to feel important, then I'll do what, this, what God has called me to do to be a pastor and a leader of this church for my own purposes and not for the purposes of Jesus Christ. And so I've surrendered. Now I have a choice to make regularly where I say, God, I give up this need to be valued because I know the true worth of what it means to live in your kingdom. I know the true worth of what it means to live in your kingdom. What do you value more today than God? Metro, what do you value more today than God? Will you give it up? Let go. And let God do his thing in your life. Because if you don't let go of it, you're going to live a very tyrannical life where you're going to experience tyranny at a level because God never created you to live for yourself. He never created you to idolize things in other people or, or, or other things. He created you so that you can enter into this love relationship with him, so that you can be like this man and this merchant, that when you live in the kingdom, that you'd be willing to give up whatever it takes so that you can continue to be in this kingdom and know the supreme value of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So today, will you make discipleship your highest priority? And will you ask the hard question of, what do I value more than I value God and the kingdom of God? And will you surrender it to him? And will you understand the true joy and the bliss that there can be in life of knowing that there's nothing in this world that's greater than Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So I want you to ask yourself that question. What do you value more than Jesus Christ? What do you value more than the kingdom of God today? That's an important question to ask. And what is it in your life that you have to do so that discipleship can become your highest priority? Do you have to slow down your life radically? Because some of you are going at a frantic pace where you never find rest. It's amazing how we enslave ourselves to work. But God wants to deliver you from that. And he wants to know that you're worthy of rest. Only slaves have to work every day. People who are set free don't have to do that. Is it about incorporating some silence and solitude? Is it about finally confessing some sins? Some of you have been a part of this church for many years and you still haven't done it yet. Why? Why? Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you surrendered yourself fully to Jesus where you actually confess your sins to somebody? What is it about your sin that has that kind of power and grip over your life? When you know that when you can confess it and that person confesses their sin, that you experience true healing and freedom and forgiveness from God. That's important as a Christian. Maybe for some of you this week, you'll go to a coworker and share with them how God has transformed your life. Or maybe if a coworker or a student at school says that they're sick, they don't feel well, maybe you'll finally say, you know what, I'm gonna pray that God heals you. And let God use you to demonstrate his power. It's time. Discipleship needs to be our highest priority. And today we gotta make a choice. Whatever things we value in life that might compete with the kingdom of God, we have to be willing to lay it aside. And I want you to lay it aside right now, whatever it might be so that you can know the true joy, hope that there is in being a citizen of God's kingdom. So I'm just gonna give you a few minutes to do this and I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna take communion to seal whatever we prayed for during this time. So let's go to God.
Lord, I pray that Metro would never become a country club. I pray we would not just be for ourselves. I pray you would raise up an army of people in this community. I don't think everyone can do this. I wish everyone can. But God, for those that you might be moving in their hearts right now, would you help us to be true citizens of this kingdom? where discipleship would become our highest priority more than anything else. Because we can't really love those that we truly treasure in our hearts unless we make you the greatest priority in our life. And God, whatever it is that we value more than we value your kingdom today, as we're honest with that, God, help us to surrender it. Help us to make a conscious choice to surrender those things that we might value so that we can live in your kingdom and understand the bounty of what it means to live under the power and grace of your love. Would you overwhelm us as we make those decisions? I pray that we would experience a tsunami of your love, your grace, and your mercy upon our lives. Flood us with your grace, your mercy, and your love today. Thank you, Lord, that you care so much about this. Thank you, God, that you taught your disciples this 2,000 years ago, and you're teaching this to us today. But help us to see now. Let us have ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to receive this. Whatever commitments we make, God, I pray that you would help us to seal it. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how did God speak to you? There's some next steps that we'd love for you to take. Uh, if, you, if you go to the communication card, I want you to make these next steps. I want you to take these steps consciously and make them. First, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, would you please check that off and say, you know what, Peter? I gave my life to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus right now. Would you check that off? Second, I will slow down for silence and solitude daily. That every day you're going to make a commitment to slow down for silence and solitude. All right? Third, I will observe a weekly Sabbath. That from now on, on the day in which you choose to be your Sabbath, you're going to shut your phones off and you're gonna really connect with God. Maybe you need to talk to your spouse and say, you know what, can I get like four to five, six hours and just get out of the house? Can you just watch the kids? And can I just have my time? We gotta, we gotta be willing to make plans like that and let God rejuvenate us as we rest in Him, all right? Fourth, I will confess my sins weekly. Weekly. I will confess my sins weekly. Nobody here in this church is without sin and we have to be willing to do it weekly. All right, last, I'm going to pray with someone this week for God's power to be demonstrated in their life. I want you to just to be open and, and just pray every day as you go and live life that if somebody comes to you and they present, you know, whether they might not be feeling well, their family member is sick or whatever, just stop and say, you know what, can I pray for them? Can I pray for them right now? And see how God will use you. I want you to also be open to maybe sharing your testimony with someone this week about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed your life. Because there's a world out there that desperately needs it because they're trying to figure out life without God. And there's no way you can. You cannot find life without the person who has created you in his image. And God wants to use you and me to help people to know that. All right? So I'll let, those are the five next steps.